Welcome to Business News and Other Shit. I'm your host, Amr. Thank you so much for tuning in to a show that's been called The Perfect Listen for Busy Fifth Graders with ADD. I'm an entrepreneur and an aspiring stand-up comedian, improviser, and my favorite job, stay-at-home dad. In a previous life, I graduated from the University of Chicago, <clears throat> the Harvard of the Midwest, with an A.B. in economics. And after that, for 10 long years, I worked as an executive director for J.P. Morgan. <clears throat> Sold my soul. You may be asking why someone in their right mind with a wife and two kids would give up such a prestigious and profitable position to become a lowly comedian. And to that, I would say, uh, it's way more fun and maybe... Don't be such a jerk about it. Our goal with the show is to entertain you with funny stories, jokes, and one-liners about investing and business and money, and hopefully make you a stronger and more financially secure person. Basically, we want to help you increase the size of your backup stash. Backup stash being that secret stash of money that keeps you afloat after you tell that horrible boss to get the hell out of here, or you want to travel around Southeast Asia for the next six months. Join us every Thursday. We tell some funny stories, jokes, have a good old time, and you know what? Maybe learn a few important things. Welcome to Business News and Other Shit, guys. I'm Amr, your host, and we got a great show for you today. On our show, we have Mark, Mark, and Mark. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> two of three. Two of three. I was two of th- two out of three on that one. We have two Marks and a Chris. And a partridge in a pear tree. Who said you're not a performer, Mark Graves? Beautiful voice. Yeah, that was wonderful. Could could you could you continue? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> On the second day. Oh, wow. I love how the Muslim is bringing up the Christmas song, yeah. and he knows him like he knows him like Boy. dead ringer by heart. Like, like struck by lightning or something. No, this is going to Christian schools as a only Muslim kid, oh, wow. and they're all like, "Oh, you're Muslim. Oh, well, um, we're just gonna have you sing along and <laughs> ignore that you're Muslim." <laughs> Uh-huh. Boy, I had to do some damage. Oh yeah, no, the PTSD is still there. I'm still uh-huh. tweaking. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah, no. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, so, Mark Graves and Mark Schindler are our guests today. Mark and Mark are the CEO and CFO of a company called Meyer Incorporated. Um, so we'll right. tell you guys all about Meyer in just a minute. We're also going to talk about uh, the markets. They're definitely the news. Uh, and I really want to focus on interest rates as mm-hmm. part of the markets. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about, especially technology as well, and how much we've run, um, as well as share buybacks from companies, as well as you know the fact that we've had awesome earnings from the tax reform. Uh, but really, I think interest rates are the story, so we'll, we'll hit that hard. And you know, if you can, if you could take something away from that for your own investing uh, pleasure, your own investing. Thoughts, your own investing, you know, ideas and what you want to do with your portfolio. Great. Yeah. And then finally, we'll talk about um, a big change in America. There's a shift happening under our feet, which is American values are leaving the realm of the White House and going into the realm of business. Huh. I can feel it. I've been feeling it for a few years, but now I can put words to it. Interesting. It, I think it has to do with the fact that millennials like Mark Graves, Mark, you're 30, 31? 31. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, come, come up to the mic, brother. That's how, that's how these things work. You got to speak into that. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm 31. 31. I yeah. met you, got it, like 26, maybe 25? Oh, man. It's been Boy. a long while. You know what? How old if, are you, Armour? I'm 38, but when oh, I yeah. met him, wow. he was in diapers. That's right. I didn't know you were 38. Why are you here. stuttering, Shindle? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, for some reason, I thought I don't know. I thought you were Shindle. You're definitely Mark Shindle. You're definitely the oldest here. Yeah, I'm but you're 55. also the most the most handsome. 
Well, that I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So, so uh, there's there's change. Change is afoot in yeah. in our country. American values are not like permeating from the White House. Definitely, even when Obama was there, I wouldn't say they were necessarily permeating from there. Like all the racism stuff that occurred in his presidency, all the serious stuff. Yeah. Like. I felt like he dropped the ball on a lot of value stuff. The drones dropping bombs and shit like that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of the value stuff, though, it may not be coming from the White House, but it's certainly affecting. I mean, the White House is certainly affecting. Yes, greatly, hugely, know, right huge. into the toilet. And yeah. and the, well, the reason I bring this up is we saw a huge uh, step in that recently with the Saudi Arabia drama that is currently unfolding. Uh-huh. And and just so happens the way I'll use this language because I believe in God, the way God placed these two events right butted up right against each other, one butt crack versus the next, right next to the Saudi man, the the writer Jamal Khashoggi yeah. was was apparently killed. Washington Post reporter, right? The Washington yeah. Post exactly Post reporter, and then right next to that is Davos in the desert, this big financial. A uh, huge financial conference Saudi's putting on for the second year now. Yeah, right next to each other, and so we were able to see crystal clear what are American values based on this situation. We'll, yeah. we'll get into that. A lot of people backed out of that, though. I mean, out of Davos in the desert, which is good. Well, yeah, this is what I this, think. and this is my point, which is the White House didn't back out of it. Steve Mnuchin is still going. They have no tr- values. Tr- so the the they have values. But values that maybe me and you and you don't have, or Chris, but right, their values are more like sell military equipment, make a lot of money off the Saudis. They're immoral. One would argue. I would agree with you, yes. So they have these, you know, what I would call messed up values, but then you have Jamie Dimon, right? Fink, Schwarzman from Blackstone, all dropping yeah. from the conference. Huge. These guys make billions of dollars off Saudi Arabia. They backed off. Mm-hmm. So... There's some values there, and so I, I've been feeling this shift for years. As I've gotten close to Mark Graves, when he was doing Meyer, I was doing my own personal stuff. Here I have shifted out of the investment banking world into the comedy and entertainment world, right? And I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I shifting out of this world? Why am I going into some social justice warrior, SJW, blah, blah, blah? They, they may also back out, though, just because they don't see the opportunity in Saudi Arabia that maybe they did like a couple years ago just because of the... Crown Prince imprisoning, you know, a lot of the business people in the Ritz Hotel until he could extort money out of them. You know, that was about a year ago, right? So it's sort of like, well, gee, if, if you can't be investing in a country that has rules or someone can arbitrarily come in and take your money, you know, I mean, it's not really a, a great business environment, you know, for people to invest in. So maybe that's part of it. Part of it. Yeah. We'll get to that. So uh, before we jump into some of this stuff, uh, and then finally, we'll end with, um, we'd like to interview you guys. I think you guys are doing something awesome here. Effing amazing. Marcus, yeah. Shindle, you're, you're, yeah, exactly. We're all all doing it, baby. So, no, you are too, Mark Shindle. Um, And so I want to talk to you guys about all the awesome things you guys have coming up. Um, Just to give you all a little taste, Mark and Mark have launched an ICO no, I didn't say IPO. I said ICO. I'm sure a lot of you haven't heard of what that is. Some of you have. It's an initial coin offering, mm-hmm. not public offering. So I can't wait to hear about that. And more importantly, there's a whole rumbling of sales that are coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to hear about that. And about But before we do that, so give us 
just a little bit of a background about you guys and about Meyer. So let's start with you, Mark Graves, CEO. Uh, what is your background? Where are you from? Where'd you go to school? And how the hell are you doing a startup? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Good questions. Uh, yeah, so from uh, Evansville, Indiana. Uh, moved here probably 15 years ago. Went to college and uh, med school at Northwestern and then dropped out to retrain in computer science and build some software to help solve a problem I saw. So. You dropped out of your undergrad at Northwestern? Uh, no, dropped out of medical school. What year? I have no idea. I mean, like, I mean M1, like, M2, yeah, M3? Uh, M2. M2. So you're yeah. halfway through med school and you dropped out of Northwestern Feinberg, right? Arguably one of the top medical schools in the country, yep. maybe world. Mm -hmm. And you dropped out. Yep. Retrained as a computer scientist, mm -hmm. have launched a company startup. Yeah. And why did you drop out <laughs> and retrained re as a computer scientist? Because uh, I saw a problem that needed to be solved. Hey, uh, who the fuck's running this podcast? You're doing the <laughs> 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 Skippy, Skippy, you know, it was an important moment. I think, wait, hold on. I think, I think, wait, I'm going to fire myself as podcast host right now because you're doing no, better. No, no. Shindle, you're actually doing better than me, I must oh, say. I, I, I like how you're so natural and just like, so to tell us, why did you, uh, that was good. No, hey, hey, keep it coming, baby. You got it. I like uh -huh. it. Um, yeah, no, that's a great question. Could you answer it again, please? <laughs> Yeah, I dropped out because I saw a problem I needed to solve. And yeah. Yeah, what was that problem that you saw? Uh it's too expensive and difficult and time consuming to for for smart people, doctors and, and researchers to actually start up doing a research project and manage it and work with other people. And when they do and they use all these twenty or fifty different things that they have to use it's effectively impossible for them to do that again. Recreate that long research project successfully again. Yeah. Got it. So, the, so they'll, they'll, they'll do like some sort of uh, drug. Uh, I think the example I've heard before is like smoking cessation. You want to get people to quit smoking. You want to run, is this nicotine patch going to work? You run a study to check if it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, it works. Great. Let's sell billions of these. And then someone comes to redo that study. And the result they get is, actually, no, it doesn't work. And yeah. you're like, why the hell are we selling all these patch patches? Yeah, I mean, probably the, the grossest example of what we're trying to work on uh, is, you know, well, a couple of years ago, Amgen got together with a whole bunch of other pharma companies and said, hey, look, we've got 50 top drugs that we're selling to people who have cancer. And this is what they're taking to treat their cancer. And of those 50 drugs that they're selling for a lot of money per, you know, dose, uh, about 90% of the time, those drugs, so they, they, got, they got back together and tried to, tried to reproduce all of that and, and see if, if they would actually, um, if they could get the same result, right? So they said it, it did one thing. They're treating people with it. And then they tried to go back and do it again. And when they do that, effectively 90% of the time, they can't get the same thing. And that's with pure... And so in some sense, a lot of the cancer drugs they were trying to help patients with may not be as effective as they once... That they no, 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 not, not, not effective. They don't work. They don't get the same thing. They tried their hardest to, and spent unlimited money and financial resources and legal resources 
working with each other and couldn't actually get the same thing wow. again. Wow. Right. So that's it was a scary. collaborative. Right. Yeah. So very scary like, for cancer patients, for the yeah. world. For <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think they tried to repeat 55. I think they tried to repeat 55 studies and they were only able to repeat six. Wow. I think. You know, so that's, that's very scary, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, I've known Mark for a while, listeners. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine from probably six years ago. Uh, I think we met in 2012 <clears throat> when I was leaving J.P. Morgan and you were leaving Feinberg. And yeah. So we really connected on that huge step we were both adventurously taking. Um, but I like to think of it as like this. Mark, when I met him, ta- told me, uh, hey, when I was 10 or 12 years old, my dad, who's a doctor, used to do a lot of research in his doctor's office. And me as a 12-year-old kid or whatever would go in there and like just help dad do his research. So it's funny. This millennial growing up in the Wikipedia, social media Facebook age yeah. was watching dad do um, research with an abacus. And he's like, WTF. When he, oh, so when you, when you got to Northwestern, you're like, oh, I'm sure they have all the tools here. Mark walks into Northwestern at 22, whatever. He's like, what the hell is this? Everyone's still using an abacus. And it's 2000 and whatever, 18. And so you're like, I'm going to fix this. Dun, 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 dun. And so that's kind of, you know, taking the world of, Health research or clinical research or, you know, research papers, you know, is a clinical research at the best? Yeah, scientific research. It's not, it's not just, yeah, I mean, it's not just medical. It's, it's the other stuff too. That's It's taking, it's taking scientific research and applying a lot of the Wikipedia, Facebook world to the scientific research world. People started to use electronics, right? They have, people have to, you have tools to do all this stuff, but how do you put those tools together into something functional that you can actually use to ask a question, get an answer back, and then do that that same thing over. Right, exactly. Mm. Mark Schindel. Yes. What the hell are you doing here? Yeah, I don't know. Where am I actually? Yeah, I just just woke up. No, uh, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, Mark's CFO, and as you know, I met him through you, Amar. What? Agula. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, I proudly introduced these men. It took yes. a year for Graves to finally agree yes. to what I was trying to tell him, which is like, you need Chindle. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm, I met him now. It's, it's, I think it'll be two years in February that wow. we introduced us. I know. Is that, is that right? Yeah, time flies. Yeah, over sushi. In, uh, I remember that. Yeah, it's really good. And um, yeah, I mean, my background is in, in private equity. I grew up in Aurora, you know, so I'm a local guy. I went to Illinois for undergrad and uh, Kellogg for grad school. And I was in the private equity business for a long time and stopped doing that and was investing for myself. And then I started taking some sort of consulting assignments from time to time and was working uh, as a CFO at uh, for a couple guys in a group of businesses, which is how I met you. Yes. All those businesses were severely undercapitalized, and you were coming in to potentially help fix one, solve a, solve a problem. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so you and I hit it off, and uh, you were like, hey, I want to introduce you to this guy. You know, I think he'd you know, be interested in what you think. Mm. And um, so yeah, so I met Mark, and as I always say, you know, in my background in private equity, I'm very used to just asking a ton of questions, looking for a flaw in, in, in logic or ask a question that he hadn't thought of or um, ask a question that I get a bad answer to. But here was at the time this 29-year-old kid who I was asking all these questions and he was coming back with such 
mature, articulate, well thought out responses, you know, and I'm like, man, you know, this guy is really exceptional. Great. Yeah. We totally fucking got him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so I remember that. I remember that. I introduced you guys, and, and yeah, you kind of just went on the attack of like, let me just see if there's anything here. Yeah, because uh-huh. I don't, I don't want to waste my time. Right. And I remember Mark Graves. Yeah, just the way you guys just heard him articulately explain clinical research and scientific research. That's exactly how you, he spoke to you, Mark. Yeah, Schindler. yeah. Um, and so, so as you said, it it took us, I don't know, nine months plus before sort of the timing worked out, and yeah, I started working with him. Back in November, December last year, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been nine uh, long. Yeah, it's been months. a wild ride, man. Yeah. yeah. But uh, hey, everything takes nine months to become born, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that background. We'll, we'll jump thank into you guys more and talk more about Meyer later. Uh, but let's talk about finance investment. By the way, we're also here with Chris. Hey, Chris. Unsung yo, yo. hero. <laughs> Our unsung hero who's making this thing happen, man. Huge mm-hmm. shout out to you, Chris. <laughs> What's up, brother? Amr's making it happen. I'm just helping. Oh, yeah. Not even close, mm-hmm. y'all. Not even close. Mm-hmm. I stand on the shoulders of Chris Bradhead. <laughs> I stand on the head of Chris Bradhead. They, they oh, can barely uh, support your weight, so please don't like <laughs> move around too Although, much. Although, listeners, you should know that Amr has actually lost quite a bit of weight over since I lost last uh, song. He's looking very lean and mean. Yeah. I'm a lean, uh, mean... Um, podcasting machine. Yeah, you are. That's right, uh, baby. That's good. Let's jump into this, guys. So uh, we've had a volatile week in the markets, right? So if you're using your Robinhood or your Stash or your J.P. Morgan free investing account, which is a huge thing that's you know taken over in 2017 and 18, it's you can invest for free now. No more paying for trades. So in in that world, uh, there's no excuse for people to not be investing. I I always give this great example of like. Uh, P-G-H, plant, grow, harvest. Everyone who works is a farmer. You're making some money somehow. Even if it's just a 1000 bucks a month, I don't care what it is, you can throw some of that aside, even if it's just 25 bucks, 50 bucks, because it is ridiculous, the efficiency and effectiveness of the American stock market, the globe envies our stock market. The globe envies our ability to report earnings so accurately and find um, frauds and things like that. So, you know, putting money in the American stock market, for example, or other developed markets will snowball into a lot of money as time goes on, as decades go on. That's been the key for me to be able to do more things in my life that I've wanted to do instead of just, you know, being a kind of slave to the corporate world. Yeah. I mean, interesting, you know, it's interesting uh, perspective, and I agree with most of it, and not to get too, I don't know if you want to get too, like, heady with it all, but, you know, I don't know that the markets are really efficient, you know? I mean, I think you mentioned the financial crisis earlier. I mean, if the markets were really efficient, we wouldn't have had these huge fluctuations mm. on a day-to-day basis because if it was efficient, all the information would have been... Um, absorbed into the prices of all the stocks and you wouldn't have these huge day-to-day fluctuations, mm, mm, you know? Mm. So I don't, so it's, it's not just, it's not just, it's not just efficiency. It's also emotion, you know, and fear mm. that play greatly into the stock market, I think. So while I agree with you that 
generally over the very long term. Yes. Someone who's a very long-term investor that is very smart to be in the market. But unfortunately, I think people people have more of a trading mentality. A lot of people have more of a trading mentality, and they think they can find the highs and the lows, and I just don't believe that you can. They're, human beings love shortcuts. Yeah. And the quickest shortcut is called gambling. Yeah. There is no faster shortcut than to gamble. Mm -hmm. If I put all this money on black and black comes up, I double my money or I lose it all if it doesn't come up. And they're doing the same thing with the stock market. So it, it, absolutely, on a short-term basis, extremely inefficient because you've got so many players, so many participants that are just, you know, taking undue risk. Yeah. Or not taking enough risk. It could be thought of, it could be shorting the market or it could be looked at in different ways. However, what I'm um, advocating is put money in, don't take it out. Right. Unless you have a plan to take it out. There's just no need, there's, in, in this economy, this, this market, this world that we live in today, um, the way things are set up, in my opinion, use those free trading accounts, put small amounts of money in, and watch it grow. Plant those seeds and let it grow. And when you're ready, when you're ready to say, screw my bartending job, screw my whatever corporate job, you can start to harvest at that point for a year, two years as you um, let your plane hit the runway and take off on a new career well, or travel Asia yeah. for six months or whatever you want to do. It's an asset allocation issue, right? Because like you, you know, now you've got two children. You know, so you're obviously not going to be 100% invested in the stock market or, you know, because you're, you need to make sure that you're not subject to huge wild fluctuations and right. you're also trying to plan for your child's education and, you know, you, you need to have some cash, but you're a young guy, so you've got plenty of time. Time. But, you know, somebody like me, I'm a little older, so I'm not going to be keeping 100% of everything I have in the stock market because my time frame isn't as long as your time frame. Right? Exactly. I have more cash needs, you know, in, in a shorter period of time than, than you'll need cash. Exactly. You know? yeah. I, I, I currently have 50% of my assets in the markets, okay. mostly stock, uh -huh. international, and, and, and domestic, but also some bonds, you know. Which you, which you, uh, you make a distinction between the stock market and bonds. Right. Yeah, so the fifty percent include the bonds. Yes. Okay. The, All right. the, the, but they're both markets because, uh, like, some some of the bonds I own are like you know German bonds or like you know some other international bonds, so they're kind of risky, uh -huh. you know, or emerging market bonds. Do you uh, do you own the actual bonds or are you in a, are fund. You in a fund? Okay. Yeah, See, fund. I don't like I don't like bond funds. Yeah. You know, these are too, especially in this environment, you know, with raising with raising interest rates because the bond funds they have to hold bonds, right? I mean, that's that's the reason that's the job, to be. Yeah. So they can't say, well, it's a rising interest rate environment, so bonds are bad investments, so we're not going to invest in bonds. I mean, they have to invest in bonds, you know. But that same same thing's true for stocks. Well, no, but I, if, if we're if we're well, true. But if we're talking about bonds, I don't know. In this environment, personally, I would just hold the bonds, you know, and just take the rate, and then and then uh, as they mature, they'll they'll look uh, principal principal value will eventually get back to the face value yep. and you'll have at least earn the income. But yep. if you're in bond funds and they're trading and interest are going ah, down, you're going to lose principal. You prefer to own the actual bond I'd rather own the actual bond. Yeah. This, know, so, it it matured. this is definitely a, a good point uh, for people listening. Um, I, 
it's it's a tricky concept to explain. Yeah. Bond fund versus a bond. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't want to get into it too much right. here. Um, I, I look at the bond funds I'm in mm-hmm. as basically stocks. Because okay. because a, a lot of them are high like higher risk bonds, right? There could be a corporate bond fund. It could be it's not just a government bond, right. you know what I mean? So so there's a whole lot of um premium baked into that that bond rate. You know, yeah, so so every bump in interest rates, the principal value of that bond will go down. It will impact it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So so the bond fund will take a little bit of a hit as a result. Um but and, and by the way. Not much of my portfolio is bonds. Yeah, it's mostly stocks. Well, I actually think it, it, your age, because my my rule of thumb has always been like the percentage that you'd be in stock market is one hundred percent less hundred percent less your age. Yes, so, I've heard that. Yeah, so it's like so in your case, forty five percent in stocks. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And fifty five percent in me, bonds and cash. That would be sixty two percent in stocks, which is probably not far off for me. Um, and then the rest in bonds and cash. For me, for you, the rest well, for the, for for you, the rest of bonds and cash. Yeah, sixty percent, sixty-two percent stocks. Let me tell you how my mine really breaks down. Uh-huh. So fifty percent in stocks, pretty much, are risky assets. I think about it, and then I have um, thirty thirty-five percent in real estate. Ah, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. so I I own some property. That's good. Yeah, and I think of that as. Kind of a bond, obviously, but it's the real estate market is different than the bond market. Very but illiquid. they're but they're very illiquid, but they're tied to each other. So like as the as rates are rising now, real estate's kind of pulling back a little bit and struggling. So just like bonds, uh-huh. um, so yeah, so fifty thirty five is wait, where's the other fifteen cash? Actually, I don't have a ton of cash. Purses, purses, yes. <laughs> listeners, listeners, <laughs> oh. you, should, you should know that wait. his wife has a significant. Wait, hold on. At this point, honey, I, if you're listening, I need you to just pause and turn off. Purses, yes. <laughs> no, my my wife is a my wife is a, I my wife is a wonderful, beautiful woman, and I I um I tell people I believe she has a PhD in beauty. Uh, yes, she's very pretty. I saw it. very very, but also, she 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 can identify something beautiful and choose it for our home or for her own person or whatever, uh-huh. which has, is a double-edged sword. Yeah. Because who doesn't like to see beautiful things and beautiful... It's, yeah. I, mean, I love that. Who doesn't? Yeah. But who likes to pay for beautiful things? No one. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. no. Not this guy. Nope. Not uh-huh. this guy. Right. So so my That's wife... That's not an earning asset either, those, those purses. You'd be yeah. surprised. Depends oh, on which purse. Purses. Okay. Oh, yeah. Some go up in value. Depending... Yeah. Like Chanel... Coco right. Chanel, do you guys know about Chanel? This whole yeah. right, there's a whole. She's dead. Is she dead? She has passed. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah I okay. prefer the word passed. Okay, passed. This why yeah. is it? I don't know why. I mean, he's dead, right? You're dead. She's dead. Yeah, the woman is dead. Yeah, you no. sound morbid, man. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. So she Chanel, her purses as well as Hermes. Uh, depending on which person, how well you take care of it, they actually rise in value. And my wife, in her geniusness, that's not a word, but cool. I'll make it a word. Has has like found buyers for some of her stuff at either like right at what she paid years ago, uh-huh. maybe a little below, sometimes a touch above. Okay. And well, certain yeah. purses, depending on which ones you buy, over longer periods will really go up. Like the Hermes Birkins bag and Kelly bag. Don't ask me how I know all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to know why? Uh-huh. I've had to somehow justify. 
writing right. big checks <laughs> for purses. Uh-huh. And you're wondering why, like, I have no hair back here with the crown of my head. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, like, years of buying those things without doing the research. Now that I do the research, I'm like, okay, this will go up in value, right? Okay. And this other voice in me is like, yeah, yeah, it's going to go up in value. This other voice in me is like, you fucking schmuck. <laughs> you're just uh-huh. buying it because you're scared of your wife leaving you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, there's where your other six percent is, or. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, interest rates. So, yeah. so we had a volatile week. We had a lot going on, and um, interest rates are rising. Okay, that 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 to most people, that's like ho hum, boring. Who cares about interest rates? So wait, instead of paying twenty one percent on my visa, I'm paying twenty three percent. Whoop de doo, I'm getting screwed either way. Well, you know. Okay. So no one really cares about that. Or like they your should. mortgage. They should care, but or the mortgage. They're like, oh, it's not a four, it's not a three percent mortgage anymore. It's now a five percent mortgage. Who cares? I'll just buy a less expensive house. Whatever my payment, whatever I can, you know, three grand a month, or two grand a month, that's what I'm doing. So people don't really think about that impact. From an investing perspective, interest rates have a big excuse me, a big impact on the world. Mm-hmm. Um well, and on the economy, too. Yeah. And absolutely, yeah. on the economy, which then impacts the world. So so from a personal perspective, yes, I understand. We all find interest rates boring. They suck. We don't like them. They make our cars more expensive, our houses more expensive, our credit cards more expensive, student loans more expensive. I get it. That's the, probably the four big places we use interest rates, all right? Mortgages, student loans, cars, credit cards. Mm-hmm. But from a bigger picture perspective, for someone who is listening to this podcast and says, oh, I want to learn about business. I want to know about business. You need to know about interest rates, people. Yeah. The bond market is a multi-trillion dollar market, okay? Bigger, arguably, if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is correct, bigger than the stock market. The bond market is bigger than the stock market. Hmm. Companies and human beings borrow more money than they do raise money in the equity markets. Hmm. I believe that's 100% accurate. Because if you think about it, like every company has, you know, every large company has billions of dollars outstanding in debt. Every big country has billions of dollars outstanding in debt. They have no equity, obviously, because they're a country. Mm-hmm. Um, every, not every, but many Americans and Western people have a decent sized mortgage of 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand. Mm-hmm. You wrap all those up, and that's a bond market. It's called the mortgage market. Mm-hmm. So, um, the municipal market, every small municipality, city of Chicago wants to build an airport. Let's borrow money. They don't do equity. Mm-hmm. So the bond markets are way bigger. Yes, they don't offer S&P returns of 10 or 11% a year long term. Um, they're lower than that. They're going to be 3 4 5%. But that's still something to potentially have in your portfolio. So, so the, the, bond, the interest rate market, the bond market, interest rates rising has a huge impact on the economy. I think everyone should know about this. And the first thing I want to say about this is good. It's good long-term that rates are rising. And why do you say that? Because for the longest time, they weren't rising, Mm -hmm. which means people who trade in the bond market were thinking, "Uh, I don't think we're ever going to have inflation again. I don't know if the Fed's ever going to raise interest rates again. You see, the purpose of raising interest rates, the purpose of rates go up. One main reason rates go up is because investors, bond investors believe there could be inflation coming 
the Federal Reserve is wanting to slow down economic growth. Um, and so the bond market has been like, yo, there is no reason to raise these interest rates. There's no reason for us to, to move the bond markets in a way where rates rise. So we're just going to leave rates where they're at. And that's where they've been for like almost a decade after the crash. Yeah. And now, as we speak, this is the first time in almost a decade, rates are starting to rise. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of spooked out for a while. Like, are rates ever going to go back up? Are we going to a zero right, rate environment? Right. Japan's scary. been in a zero rate environment for decades, it feels like. And their economy is definitely struggling. Yeah. You know? So long term, this is good. Right. You know, it, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. And it's probably also because of the whole quantitative easing. That's, that's it. That's, that's the main part of it. You know, yeah. so that's going to, yeah, certainly impact. It stops. That's yeah. going to impact it. Um, it. It may even it may even be getting unwound at some point in the near future. Maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I think it would at some level. Yeah. Um, but really, I think it's it's bond market investors in this multi trillion dollar market. These investors who look at the bond market and trade it are saying, "Huh, looks like we got some real growth, y'all. Mm-hmm. We might have some inflation." Well, don't you think the Fed drives the interest rates? I mean, On the short term, yes. On the short end, yeah. Doesn't it all? Don't you think it all sort of stems from the Fed? Um. Yeah. Yeah. The Fed, the Fed and their their communication is definitely going to impact the bond market overall. Whether you're talking about uh, one month rates, three month rates, one year rates, five year rates, and all the way out to ten, thirty year rates, the Fed is going to impact all those for sure. Yeah. However, um, ten and thirty year rates sometimes will totally behave separate from the Fed. Like if the Fed is saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're not worried about interest rates. We're going to leave them down here really low." But bond investors are like, uh, you're crazy, Fed. We've got a lot of growth in this economy. Trump keeps cutting taxes. Technology keeps innovating. New iPhone, new iPad. This economy's going gangbusters. You better believe that longer-term rates are going to rise because they're worried about inflation. Right. And they're probably also worried about debt levels, too, because the, the huge deficits, you know. So it's like if the, if the U.S. has to keep raising more and more money by selling treasury securities, that's going to increase supply of the bonds which will then drive up rates exactly yields will have to go up bond market investors will demand more percentage from the u.s government if the u.s government keeps blowing up these deficits which they are right and then the the rates go up so the dollar increases in value so then all these countries that have dollar denominated debt they get screwed over because they have to pay their debt back in dollars hey mark yeah Who's running the fucking podcast? <laughs> you keep telling me to interject. Yeah, all right. I love right. it. I love it. You're making it so rich. Right. Exactly. Okay. The dollar gets impacted too, which is hitting emerging market economies right now. In fact, all global economies. Yeah. So, so which in turn hits bond markets more. Um, yes. No. Exactly. That's really insightful. I think. I think the takeaway for someone who is an investor in the market, a casual investor, you know, is, hey, there's some there's some good news long term here. You know, continue to believe in investing and feel comfortable investing. Short term, however, I have a whole different perspective. Hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Short term, uh, my conclusion is this. Because rates are going up, because they've been so low so long, slow your roll on what you're investing. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking, yo, yo, I got a bunch of money and I want to put it all in now. No, don't do that. Not only are we really frothy and at the top of the stock market or very, very rich levels, um, with rates rising, 
in a way they haven't risen for 10 years. That is going to be a drag on growth, a drag on the economy, a drag on your average company. Um, the, the, the economic output of the United States is hugely dependent on interest rates. Hugely. For example, Meyer, do you guys have a credit line by any chance? I mean, yeah, you could say we have a credit line. Yeah. You and just about every other company in America, probably the world, have a credit line of some sort. Yeah. And do you pay an interest rate on that credit line? Um, it's fixed right now, but it will, it will, when when the fixed period ends, then yeah, it'll definitely go up given the rate environment right now. Absolutely. Everything for companies in America will get more expensive. Mm -hmm. This is why interest rates are, are, are quite, I mean, they're so essential to the economy. It's insidious almost. You know, it's insidious. It's almost like you don't smell it, but it, it's happening. Your interest expense goes up. And so a company like Meyer, who was paying, you know, whatever, let's say five grand a year in interest, suddenly they're paying possibly seven or eight grand mm -hmm. or 10 grand. Now think about that on a larger scale, a whole economy, companies who borrow billions, countries who borrow billions. Yeah. Anyone, um, mortgage borrowers, let's say we all bought a house yep. and we're paying way more. So everything gets more expensive when interest rates go up. This is super, super important. Yep. So for the longest time, interest rates were not going up. They were just going down or staying, staying close to zero. And nothing was getting more expensive for a long time, which has kind of driven lots of growth in our economy. And right now we've got unemployment rate at 3.7%. Wacky, right? Um, but that can't last forever, and things are starting to shift as rates rise. Everything's starting to get more expensive. It sucks, mm -hmm. and so I'm saying stock markets will definitely globally get hit because of this. Yeah. They will no doubt get hit because of interest rates rising. So on a short-term basis, one to two years, I'm saying continue to invest a portion of your income in the stock markets, do it. Long term, you need to plant those seeds now. I don't care what level the markets are at. You need to plant those seeds and keep some powder dry. Mm -hmm. As you watch the economy, I'm calling it. I think a recession's coming. I don't know if it's six months. I don't know if it's a year. But don't put all your money in the market right now. Right. That'd be the dumbest thing you can do, I think. Um, it would be more like waiting and just watching. In addition... This is the kind of environment where, you know, you got to think about, all right, if there's a shock to our economy, right, is it going to be a positive shock or negative shock? It, there's no way I don't think it's going to be a positive shock. We just yeah. passed a huge tax reform, right? I doubt another big tax reform is coming under, in the pike in the next 12 to 24 months. No way. I can't see that. It's not like the Fed's going to just start dropping rates. They're going the opposite direction. So... If anything, God forbid a terrorist attack. Right. God forbid the trade war becomes a real war with China. It's getting there. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, those are negative shocks. And so good thing you had some powder dry because the first thing that's going to go is a stock market. And if that thing drops 25 35 50%, that's when you want to start putting that money in. So what I'm saying is invest small amounts. Do your regular kind of whatever, 100 bucks a month, 1000 bucks a month whatever you can afford, but keep powder dry is what I'm saying because short, even though long-term rates rising is great, short-term, 
be on the lookout. We're vulnerable. If there's a shock that comes, the market's going to take a hit. You you'll think, have a chance. Do you say rising rates are great because that's a sign of a growing economy and, and the need to sort of slow down? Is that what you say? That was the first uh, point, yeah, yeah. Of, of like long-term, big picture <laughs> Rates rising is a good thing. It means bond investors are like, oh, okay, all right. Well, it looks like this American economy is finally back going and on its feet. It's starting to, you know, propel along. Yeah. And it'll also, you know, another negative impact on stocks from the rising rates is that bond investors or, or more investors will sell stocks to then put their money in bonds to get the higher rate. Great so, point. Yeah. Yeah. Stocks will look less attractive from that perspective as well. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's move. Would you have a thought, Mark? I, I got a question for you. Yeah, please. So, what what do you think would be the impact of a of a larger uh, gain in say productivity or or economic output? A larger what? Uh, a large. Uh, so you said a, a shock to the economy. Yeah. What about a, a shock in terms of uh, productivity or economic output? What what would that you know, look like. Uh, so what's an what example do you think of, that would be the impact? What, what's an example of like a shock to productivity? Uh, when you say that, what does that mean to you? I mean, invention. I mean, last, yes. uh, you know, like. Okay, great. So I think the three big, I love how people say, uh, oh, oh, yeah, President Trump is the reason the economy is doing so great. You know, it's like, it's like for decades, I would go back, maybe back to Roosevelt with the whole New Deal. But president does not have a big impact on the stock market or the economy. It's funny. I mean, everyone thinks it does. Everyone thinks the president is the biggest driver of the economy. No, hell no. Interest rates, probably the biggest. Innovation, second biggest. Technology innovation. And I think the third biggest is probably the global economy. How's the globe doing? Not just the United States. So you're asking about, in my mind, number two, technology and innovation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so let's take an example. Sure. It's a good point. It's a great point because we've had a huge jump in productivity because of a lot I mean, there's the, a lot going, going on, on out right. there. Yeah, it's like I, the you, got, you got driving car, you got self-driving cars. Uh, you got auto- like, I mean, there's like this, autonomous semi trucks. It's real, right? Autonomous cars, autonomous semi trucks. Mm-hmm. Productivity should jump. My only, so, so I think that's a positive. Here's the thing. While that will, funny enough, I do think that will make the economy grow quite a bit. I. So I guess to answer your question directly. It'll probably have a positive impact. I believe it'll have a positive impact on the stock market. I think self-driving cars, self-driving semi-trucks, self-driving airplanes, I don't know. They'll all have a very positive impact, you know. Um, That said, we're in this weird world where though companies will grow and their stock price will probably grow, I I don't know. I, I don't think it'll be a huge boost to the economy because we have this weird world right now where no matter how how great innovation is. For some reason, that innovation does not help the average American. Interesting. Distribution of wealth is still like like you've had the iPhone and all this stuff, the electric car, Tesla, all this stuff, is, and and distribution of wealth is still going the wrong direction. The rich are getting super rich, and the average American is still making fifty five thousand dollars, the same amount they've been making tax adju- uh, inflation adjusted for the last three decades. Mm-hmm. It's like why isn't the average American actually making more money? They're just getting squeezed more and having trouble paying their rent more. So they, they don't have a lot of extra cash to spend in the economy. But again, I do think the rich will get richer and those companies will probably go up in the stock market. It just won't be a huge jump because consumers won't realize that benefit very much. Sure. Yeah, I mean, 
in general, increasing productivity increases wealth, right? I mean, you can't you can't increase wealth without increasing. I would think it'd be very difficult to increase wealth without increasing productivity. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. I mean, the disparity in wealth, um, I think, is also due to certainly the tax structure, you know, how people are taxed, mm. you know, um, and how the government spends money, I think definitely impacts or causes the, the rich to get richer and the, the poor to get poor. You know, I think there are, I think those are those artificial drivers of wealth disparity being tax policy and, and how government spends money. It appears to the New York Times that Jared Kushner, Ivanka's husband, yeah, perfect example, paid zero in taxes as his net worth ballooned to three hundred and twenty-five million dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's just corrupt. I mean, it, and it may be institutionally, um, it's it's institutional corruption. I, if 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 we have a, a system like that, laws like that. Where if that's true, that that can happen. I mean, that just shouldn't be the case. There you go. Yeah. That's it. It's awful. How yeah. is it, Mark, with your net worth of $3 billion, you don't yes. pay any tax? This is bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just cheat, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Whatever I can do to not pay a dollar in tax. You yeah. double-crossing. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Cheating <laughs> son of a bitch. This is America. Yeah, but um, you know, Warren Warren Buffett's made the the comment that you know his tax rate is less than his assistance tax rate. You know, um, I mean, he obviously pays wow. more in taxes, um, but the rate that he pays, wow. yeah, which is it's 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 totally it's it's a corrupt system wow. um, put in place by by morally corrupt people. In, son, in my opinion, son of a gun. Yeah. So yeah, that's the productivity thing. Is 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 it'll probably help the stock market and the economy in some ways, but for some reason, I think it, it doesn't have the impact it would have once had in the past when the car or the television was invented, or the radio or the steamboat or whatever, or the airplane, because just the the way wealth is getting distributed right now, well, and the, also the supply chain, right? It's like it's not like those things are being manufactured here. That's true too. Right, that was the difference. Is it at least? Yeah, that's a great point too. Uh, if we come up with new new inventions, the the the, the you know the autonomous car, autonomous whatever, at some point they're not going to be made here for sure. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, I mean they may the intellectual property will probably. I mean the company the companies may be headquartered here. But right. The, exactly. Yeah, but the cars themselves probably won't. Yep. Won't be made here. Yeah, but I'm okay. I'm actually okay with that. I mean. Yeah, you and I are. We we yeah. we get the service economy. We we we. I'll I'll speak for myself. I'm privileged to have an education in a way where I can take advantage of the econ- the service economy. But a lot of people have not reskilled themselves. A lot of rural America, a lot of Trump supporters have not reskilled themselves in a way. Have not been supported by the government to get reskilled. Right. And so they're like, "WTF? What the hell are we supposed to do?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I kind of feel you." Right. So you should definitely be voting for Trump. Right. right. No, wait, no, no, don't. Right. Yeah. Or the education system is so skewed too, at least especially here in Chicago, when you know the the money that goes to schools are driven by property taxes. So the wealthiest communities get the very best, best top-notch schools. Yep. schools. Hands down, it's also 
corrupt yep. in my mind. Stinking you know? Lincoln. Park. Yeah, I mean, that's that system, I, I don't know how we've been able to tolerate it for so long. Well, it's because of the, it's the people that have the power to keep it in place are the ones that are wealthy and have the great schools. Right. Let's shift gears. Um, A man who was super tight with the Saudi royal family. He was an inner circle kind of guy, rubbing shoulders with the wealthy, with the, the, the royal family, doing a lot of favors for them. They let him in on a lot of secrets. Uh, has a falling out with them. Leaves their country because he was just not feeling comfortable there. Maybe not even safe. Goes to America becomes a Washington Post news reporter. Feels like, all right, I'm going to start a new life here in America. You know, that's it. I've had a tough time. Uh, I, I had a falling out with the, the royal party, the royal family in Saudi. Uh, and, and he gets word from his family in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Hey, the royal family's giving our, our family a hard time. They're not letting us travel easily. Um, they're kind of like, you know, spooking us out, threatening us here and there. Um, and so this man's life kind of became a little bit of a hell. He wasn't able to easily travel back to, to Saudi. He didn't feel safe. His wife was still there. So he stays in the U.S. And he becomes a Washington Post news reporter. Uh, traveling to Istanbul recently, this guy goes to pick up uh, some sort of a visa from the Saudi embassy. He's a Saudi citizen. Mm-hmm. Thinking that, well, they probably, you know, they have a problem with me, but, you know, just for my rank and file stuff with the ambassador and with the clerical employees at the embassy, I don't feel too concerned. I'm in Istanbul. What's the ambassador going to do to me in Istanbul, the Saudi ambassador? Mm-hmm. Guy walks in, never walks out. Jamal. His name is Jamal. Never walks out. Mm-hmm. Wife starts going bananas. I was, I, was, I was waiting for him by the gate. He doesn't come out. What's going on? She reports it right away. Turkish... Investigators right away check the tapes, the cameras. They see the guy walk in. They don't see the guy walk out. Mm-hmm. Right after the guy walks in, 15 Saudis who just landed walk in after him, one with a bone saw. Yep. There was an episode of um, the Americans where they chopped up a person and put him in a suitcase. So I think they probably saw that, <laughs> that episode. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> you think the Saudis? You think the Saudis saw that? I think the Saudis saw that episode and light bulb went off. Ding! Uh-huh. We could do that. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So, the guy with the guy carried. So one of the guys had a bone saw. So fifteen guys plus a bone saw, and one of the fifteen guys was um, and was a an autopsy expert for the internal authorities of Saudi Arabia. So like they they brought an autopsy expert just to make sure. There's no trace of this guy. I love that they bring the bone saw and the autopsy guy. But they don't bring the guy who's like, hey, wait a minute. What if they see us on tape walking in? (laughs) (laughs) I don't get that at all. Who would that guy be? Like the guy with the brain? (laughs) They forgot to bring the guy with the brain. They 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 brought the bone saw, but they didn't bring the brain. Yeah. So, you know, may this man rest in peace. I, I, I assume he's... He's passed. I feel bad for him and his family. Um, but the story here is also about Saudi and just how dumb they are. I mean, really dumb. MBS, if you're listening, please don't kill me. Yeah, um, so dumb. 
just I mean, it, it seems so stupid that they could deny it because they're like, no one would be this stupid. Right. I mean, the place has got to be surrounded by cameras, right? I mean, so they, yeah. nobody saw him come out, right? So where is he? Yeah. And then, to add insult to injury, right? And we'll get to the business part of this, by the way. Okay. Yeah. We'll add insult, to add insult to injury, right? They say nothing about it for two weeks. Oh, yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. We, we have no, we have no, nothing. We don't know anything. This guy, he left. Yeah, he came in, got his things, and he left. It's like, what? Like, that's your story? Yeah. Two weeks later. No, no, wait, actually, no, no, no. It, it was, uh... It was an investigation gone wrong. Right. Right. I think interrogation gone interroga- wrong. Thank you. Yeah. Interrogation uh-huh. gone. My question is, has any interrogation ever gone right <laughs> with 15 people in a bone saw? <laughs> yeah. And why did they need the 15 people? I mean, were they just like carrying them out in little pieces? Is that – I mean because was there no – I don't know. I mean – Okay. Why? You take the ankle. Yeah. You yeah. take the chest. Put it in, put it and... in my suit pocket. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, I don't understand. And one thing, seriously, why uh, why are the Turks? Ups- I mean, why are the Turks involved in it? Because it's a Saudi citizen at the Saudi embassy, right? Well, a crime has occurred in their country on but, their on their land. But in the but in the consulate, right? Which is I believe the not Turkish, Turkish territory, jurisdiction, right? Really? Yeah. I mean, it's sovereign territory. If it's an embassy. Oh, is that right? I yeah. didn't know that. I don't know how embassies work. So you're saying the Saudi embassy in Istanbul, that plot of land, you're saying no Turkish law applies? Only Saudi law applies to it's, that? It's Saudi sovereign property. Haven't you yeah. seen that episode of Simpsons where he goes to Australia? No. And he's jumping back and forth. He's like, I'm in Australia, America, Australia, America. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know if there's a difference between a consulate and an embassy. embassy Maybe yeah. there's a distinction there, Maybe. but I know that for a fact if it's wow. an embassy. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there, there you go. go. So, th- you know what? The- given that, everything's okay now. Uh-huh. It's all okay. <laughs> there's no problem. This <laughs> <at all>. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> yeah. Next topic. Uh-huh. So, okay. So, let's get to the business side of this, right? There's there's two big things here, I think. Number one, all right, is is the Saudi side. Saudi as a government has crowned this man, Mohammed bin Salman, the, the prince, the crown prince, is going to be the king. Uh, he has the power. So this man has been fully supported by President Trump and Jared Kushner. Really, it's Kushner who's tight with him. Yeah. Um, and, and they've thrown their weight behind him. In fact, they've thrown their weight so much behind him in a way where I believe when King Salman, the king, I believe is his father, um, was figuring out which son to give the crown to, I believe Trump and Kushner weighed in on that in some way. Hmm. Where they're like, yeah, 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 we like this guy. You know, we'll 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 be with you guys more if you give it to this son. Maybe they saw something in you know glimmer in his eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I mean, the president also has a lot of business interests in Saudi Arabia, right? So, you know, oh, Trump himself, yeah, Trump himself. I didn't know that. I mean, he's made a comment in the past that he's made a lot of money in Saudi Arabia, right? You know, now if you ask him, of course he'll say he doesn't have any interest right. in Saudi Arabia, but chances are he's lying, right? So, what? He's, yeah, Im- impossible. Im- uh-huh. Not our not our president. So he's not he's not going to come down hard right. on the Saudis because it'll impact his business interests. And so, the, the, in addition, well, we'll get to that in a second. So, so Saudi is has got this crown prince, and his goal is to wean them off of oil because I think he sees the future coming of electric cars. It's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so wean them off, wean their country off of it by 2030. They have this big plan. 
And so to launch this plan last year, they did something called the uh, FII, uh, Financial Investment Conference of some sort. I forget what it stands for. Uh, the first one was last year in the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. And sure enough, uh, the Treasury Secretary came, Jamie Dimon came, Larry Fink came, uh, Steve Schwartzman from Blackstone came. Uh, oh, the, those three big names in finance plus Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, those are the four biggest names in business, basically, in, in American finance. They went last year. Um, and then after that, they call it Davos in the Desert. Okay? So it's basically this big conference. But if you want Saudis billions and billions of dollars and you want to network with, you know, with hobnob with people, go to this conference. Um, and, and a lot of people did. And then a month later, they turned that same Ritz-Carlton into a jail yeah. where the crown prince basically rounded up Prince Walid and other princes and other people um, and threw him in that Ritz-Carlton as a prison. Yeah. Shook him down for billions of dollars under the auspices of uh, these princes ha- took illegitimate money from the government, so we're just taking it back. Right. Shook him down, and then not all, but most, have, have now left the Ritz. There's still some people there. So much for due process, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, right. Guilty until proven innocent, which, by the way, is the whole uh, Trump point right now. Right. Why? Why is Saudi being guilty? You know, proven guilty, yeah. guilty until uh, proven innocent. It's like what? Like, did you have you been paying attention? Anyway, there's no point in arguing that. So, um, my my point with this is, you've got another conference happening next week, literally next week, right? This whole Jamal Khashoggi thing happened two weeks ago, and then you've got Davos in the desert happening right after it, and so we're able to see very clearly, you know. Um, people's behavior around these two events being so close to each other. So the Ritz still has some people there. They're supposed to have this... So the Ritz still has some people imprisoned there. And they're supposed to have this Davos in the desert downstairs while some people are in jail upstairs. <laughs> right? It's hilarious. I just love... Uh, I, I'm just picturing Steve Mnuchin going up to the wrong room. You know? And there's a prince that comes out with like, I don't know, eight strippers. He's like, what is going on? Whoa, I thought this was my room. No, no, this is my prison cell. Like, what? <laughs> so, you know, Saudi trying to transform, using this conference to transform themselves by the year 2030, wean themselves off of oil, um, is, is, I think, really kind of, he's like shooting themselves in the foot, yeah. right? Because they, they, by the way, Saudi has just begun borrowing money on the bond market. They, in the last two years, just in 2016, they're one of the only countries that was not using the bond markets to borrow money. Uh, but in the last two years, they've raised $70 billion on the global bond market, mm-hmm. in the global bond market. So they borrowed, they borrowed $70 billion to use that money to invest in their infrastructure and whatever else they need to invest in. And they pay a certain interest rate on that money. Um, the, the, the cost to insure, credit default swaps, the cost to insure anyone who owns a Saudi bond has gone up 35% since this whole Jamal Khashoggi thing. Because Since then, really. Wow. Yeah, just in the last two weeks. The moment that guy was supposedly killed, you just see the graph jump. Huh. So the cost, basically, to protect yourself, to buy insurance against Saudi not paying their debt, mm-hmm. jumped 30% after that. Because I think they're starting to see um, the country unravel a bit. right? They're starting to see this crown prince be someone who's unpredictable. The whole Yemen thing. I mean, they're just killing Yemenis. It's crazy how bad it is in Yemen. The Saudis are doing, 
They kidnapped the Lebanese prime minister yeah. earlier in the year. And now this, it's like, dude, what are you doing? It's not a real sound business environment. You know, I mean, you, business, the economy, business people like stability and predictability, you know, and when when there's no due process, when there are no laws that are consistently applied, you know, it's just not going to work as a business environment. And then the whole uh, IPO of what you Aramco. Call it, yeah, that's gone down the tubes too. I mean, I for think now. Yeah, I, Goldman and Morgan Stanley were. I think it was. I think it was Morgan Stanley. Gold, I know Goldman was in it. They were so like chomping at the bit for this hundred billion dollar IPO. The U.S. government, Trump and Kushner, was like, "Oh yeah, we're going to get this IPO." And they totally pulled the rug out from under us. Yeah. Well, the valuation from, I mean, anecdotally, people seem to think that the valuation is ridiculously high. Oh, is and that right? It's not like the Saudis are really going to disclose the typical public company information that you'd see, you know, because I'm sure the numbers probably aren't really legit or you know then then all the ownership interests of you know who owns who owns the company will be exposed and i'm sure there are a lot of people that mm. don't want that information made public so i don't know we'll see if it happens i don't think it will I, it doesn't feel like it but yeah. you better believe they hung that carrot they swung that carrot out there for the americans you know like oh yeah well, we're gonna do this Aramco thing and then like oh we changed our mind yeah right it's like whoa you know yeah. So I mean, and and still with all of that, right? With all Trump is still supporting, you know this, and so now, so now the second thing, right? So the first thing is just Saudi and their business environment. Their bonds are risky. The whole country and investing in the country is risky. Um, the whole thing just feels shaky. But the second part of this is a story about American business. Trump right now is saying maybe it's rogue killers, the way. Yeah. MBS is, is saying uh -huh. maybe it wasn't these 15 guys in the bone saw. Okay, let's go with that, President Trump. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so um, he's saying so as a result, I'm not going to just pull, for example, we're, we're selling them $100 billion worth of military equipment. He's like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to pull that. Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed Martin, they need that money. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we see where your values are. Money is way more important to you than are people getting bone sawed when they go to Saudi Arabia because yeah. they look the wrong way at someone. You know what I mean? So, so that's his value. Now, he is still sending Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, to Davos in the desert next week. This man is still going, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he's which I can't. I'm like, I'd be I'd be like pissing in my pants if I'm the Treasury Secretary and you're making me go to Saudi. Like I don't know what's gonna happen yeah. if I make a mistake. You know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a tough one. I, I haven't really thought through it that much. I mean, certainly, I mean, I don't know how anybody can say some rogue killer. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. They're, um, they're just starting to change the story now saying it's an interrogation gone wrong. Which, yeah. That, hey, say that like, you know, two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. The best way to sanction them, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought through that. Well, I mean, so so American business decided for America what they're going to do. This made headlines, and it should make freaking headlines. And I think this is what I've been feeling the last few years, and the big point I want to make on this podcast is 
the world's changing from a value perspective. It, it doesn't feel like values are emanating from the White House necessarily anymore or, or just from Washington. Jeez, even the Senate and the House, right? Um, and even the Supreme Court now, it's all just looking shaky. It feels like values are shifting somehow to American business, which is weird, but it's not. Because the truth is, our power rests in our economic power. Mm-hmm. That's really where everything emanates from. Is our ec- and who's our economic power? It's it's American business. So Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase, Larry Fink of BlackRock, and Steve, excuse me, yeah, of BlackRock, and Steve Schwarzman of Blackstone. These are the three biggest CEOs on Wall Street. All right, both, all three were calling each other up the day before. And they're like, hey, are you going to this thing? I don't know. Are you going? I don't know. Are you going? And so uh, Jamie Dimon called up uh, their contact over in Saudi and was like, yo, you need to postpone Davos in the desert mm-hmm. because with this whole Jamal Khashoggi thing, we, we feel weird going over there. Mm-hmm. Can you please postpone? Mm-hmm. The guy says to Jamie, uh, thanks for the call. No, we ain't postponing anything. Jamie's like, all right, I'm out. Larry Fink and Sue Shoresman gave them a deadline of 6 a.m. the next day. And Saudi said, nope, keeping it on. The next day, 6 a.m., those two guys pulled out. Hmm. And so you got the three biggest CEOs on Wall Street pulling out of this Davos in the desert. And that says a lot. Yeah. I I get it that it might not be the best business environment. But still, J.P. Morgan Chase makes billions off of Saudi. I know this for a fact. They used to work there. They've got an office of like 75 people there. You know? Although, you know, looking at it from the other end, I mean, I think the government is certainly impacting the values in that I don't think the Saudis would have chopped up Jamal if President Trump hadn't been saying things like the press is the enemy. You know, I mean, where he's just shockingly disparaging mm. the press and saying that they're, I don't know if he said they're traitors or whatever, but but he's he's made the press to be the enemy of the American people, you know? Mm. And so it's a lot easier for other world leaders to then think that they can get away with treating the press in a different way. I think I think it sends a huge message to the rest of the world when you say that the press is the enemy of the American people. It's like, well, maybe I can chop up this guy, you know? I'm quickly having second thoughts about this podcast. It's kind of... <laughs> It's kind of a little bit of a journalistic thing, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Okay. Uh, We're going to end this show right now. Okay. (laughs) A little late for that. Thanks for the invite. (laughs) So, yeah. So, those are the two big things uh, I'm seeing is like just from Saudi, from their own perspective as a country, business-wise, just all question marks around them. Um, There's there's a big shift happening there. and, And that has big ripple effects in the world. The second thing, which I think is a bigger thing, is is American business taking the lead on American values. And I think that's where Mark and I really overlap, and maybe this is a good segue into Meyer. Um, I worked at J.P. Morgan, and I felt like, yo, this doesn't line up with, this doesn't align with my values anymore. I'm going to leave this line of work. And so I moved out of that into the world of entertainment. Um, Mark, you were at Feinberg doing medicine, and you're like, you know what? There's something more just that I want to do, something more impactful that I want to do. You were a Feinberg Medical School student on your way, on a path that everyone else wants, and you're like, no, I'm going to take, take a U-turn and do something different here. Um, and that, I think, with all the 
you know, incubators popping up with the startup community, with Silicon Valley, with there's just a huge with Google and a lot of the stuff at Google and Facebook where they the, the employees will revolt depending on what Google and Facebook and others are doing with the government mm-hmm. or with the Pentagon or whatever. Um, you're just seeing a huge impact that values are being led by the American business community, not by Washington. Mm-hmm. Huge shift. It's just starting. Just you wait. It feels like this thing's about to take off in a way that I, I, I don't know what, what it's going to look like, but honestly, I kind of like it. I, I, I prefer the power to start to be, at least for values, to start to be removed from Washington because I don't think it's working very well there and put into the hands uh, of, of the business community. It just seems to make more sense to me. It seems more aligned. They're the ones who are making the money, mm-hmm. not D.C., so they're the ones making the innovation. You know, I just don't think DC has a big impact on the economy. It's more innovation. It's more the global economy. It's more. It's more um, interest rates. So, so with that, go ahead, Mark. What do you say, something? Uh, no, I mean, just interesting. I mean, that's uh, Washington and people in government are there to be public servants, right? That's that's the, the and title. Serve they do, Mark. <laughs> and serve they do. And serve they do. Uh, but yeah. So sorry. What well, you're gonna ask? So yes, yeah, so let's talk about Meyer. So um, um, we have an idea of the, 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 the seed of Meyer, you yeah. leaving Feinberg, you working with your dad in research, you saying we need to have a system here uh, that, that, that links the, the, the new 2018 world with this old research world. And you begin this journey of becoming retraining as a computer scientist, building a software application a web application, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and then uh, bringing on a partner, Mark Schindel, as your CFO, mm-hmm. to help you start pounding the pavement and getting this company off the ground. Does that sound right? Kinda. I wish. I wish it was uh, that streamlined. But uh, that's that's <laughs> right. Yeah. The, yeah. The the last part is a very small part of the 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 story. Yeah. yeah. But. No. Yeah, that pretty that pretty well gets it. It, it wasn't uh, the start wasn't quite that you know that smooth, right? It, it started out of necessity, right? It started out of seeing uh, seeing the same thing over and over, and that causing a problem in my life, and that causing a lot of uh, uh, you know interactions and and. I get I get called in the dean's office like five or six times, right? So it's like yeah, it was just I, I, in medical school. Yeah, you know. Well, so you you start asking. The, here's the thing: what you might not know about medical school is one of the first things they teach you is, sorry, uh, one of the one, one thing you might not know about medical school is it's not just teaching you about how to be a doctor, or I guess it really is, but it's it's the business of medicine. They indoctrinate you very quickly into the business of mm. medicine and it becomes very clear and apparent where that's ominous it is it absolutely is it's uh it's not about i wish i could say it was all about helping people but you know there's a business behind it mm. money-driven medicine it's uh it's absolutely there um and, and that rankled you in some way but it disappointed me okay. i would say disappointed my idealism right like i i understand it's necessary to have you know, organizations and groups that support doing all these functions. But it was it was a real shocker as to, you know, just how 
you know, really in your face that was. Mm. So, and, and you start asking some questions about, well, what if we were to do it a little bit differently? And it's sorry, you know, that, that, that's not how it's done. Maybe if you go down and, uh, you know, try and get some different action, you know, whatever it is, but there are, it's commercialized at this point. The United States has a very commercial healthcare system. Okay, so you saw that at 20X years old, 27, 26, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Then you said, damn it, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah, I said, this is awful. This is, this is not what I signed up for at all. I'm paying $100,000 a year for somebody else to tell me how to think because that's what works with the current economic model. And that just that just didn't sit well with me. And so you start asking enough of those questions and you realize everybody's going down that path. And I just wasn't I it, it didn't sit well with me. So I took a you know, I saw a different route. Yeah. Okay. And that route was what? Why did you think um re um no making scientific research or medical research way more efficient and powerful. Why did you think that was the answer to making money medical, whatever the term was, you know? Really, really good book uh, called Money Driven Medicine. Money Driven Medicine. If you, if you have not read it, it's a, it's a really good primer on, on medical economics mm. and how we actually got here mm. um, starting way back. But uh, it it really came down to it, so you got to you got to bring it back to the to the time right there wasn't actually a large scale adoption yet of electronic medical records even now mm-hmm. we haven't yet completely done mm-hmm. that i mean we were there we were at a, a at a place just a couple of days ago and they were talking about well we were at this we have one electronic medical record we're going to a new one and then we're not going to have you know the past 25 years of records that's real that's a real problem oh when, when are, they transition they're going to lose all the last 25 years yeah. Yeah. i mean that's real that's real that is a real thing that happens in our daily medical life sounds like that company's living in 1978 uh, well so so so, so healthcare healthcare is a slow moving beast because you can't have that Silicon Valley move fast and break things mentality. I mean, mm. we saw it in the past couple of days, right? Is like, I don't know if you saw it, but I mean, there was uh, some sort of a, a pacemaker device or that had um, a vulnerability. And it's like you could actually hack into someone and stop their heart via software. That's not a joke, that's absolutely real. And so they had to like patch this update, and it's that like on an episode of Homeland. I mean, it, you watch it's, a lot it's, of patriotic dude, television. I mean, it's, it's very real. And by the way, so. uh, I would never, ever want to have a pacemaker that could get hacked, especially during an election. Right, right. Because the so Russians the would be all over my heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, so so here's the thing, right? Like, you, if your iPhone gets hacked, okay. If your tablet gets hacked, okay. If your smart uh, speaker gets hacked, okay. If your smart TV gets hacked, okay. But if your it, heart what, gets hacked, that's that's right. a problem, yeah. right? That's a problem. That, you know what? That's literally that's the devil. Uh, yeah, that's that's, that's a bad thing, you know. So, <laughs> so the problem is, is you can't move so fast. And actually, now we're starting to see more motion in in that. But that really, like, I I jumped because it was like I I saw the current state of affairs and I was like, this is so bad. I know I can do better. I know mm. I can do better. And you know, people. People said, okay, do it, and they did. Okay. So. All right, got it. So that's clear. So, so okay, so Meyer gets launched. You 
I know this story about you because I was yeah. with you on this journey. You sit in your dorm room while going to Feinberg, and I think even undergrad, some of your undergrad, and you just start coding away at an application called MIRE, which stands for My Integrated Research Environment, mm -hmm. which basically means you looked at all the, you know, um, uh, 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 ragtag tools. Northwestern, for example, was using to do scientific research, and you're like, what the hell is this? I'm going to make one. I, Mark Graves, I'm going to make one tool fully integrated that makes this whole process way more streamlined, efficient, and frankly, easier, and most importantly, accurate. Mm -hmm. That's what you did for several years in your dorm room, working away. Mm -hmm. Mark much. Zuckerberg, eat your heart out, baby. <laughs> Yeah, you said you were spending more time coding than you were studying your... Yeah, education. so I mean, that was that was when I really got uh, the opportunity or decided to, decided to change roads was when I was actually studying for boards and everybody else was studying and spending all of their time, you know, actually, uh, you know, doing their work for school and I was coding because I just saw this as being so much... Such a, a faster way to accomplish what I wanted to. I'm picturing me and you. So I met Mark in men's group, <laughs> men's therapy group. I, I'm going to share a personal yeah, story. Yeah, go for it. It's, uh, all good. it's called MKP, the Mankind Project. And uh, I was like, oh, do I stay at JP Morgan? Do I leave? I'm not happy. And Mark was like, you know, hat in hand. He's, he's grabbing his hair. He's like, do I stay at Feinberg or do I leave? These guys are all studying for boards and I'm just working away and building this thing. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow. Is he really doing that? Like, and we all just kind of held up a mirror to Mark, and we all held up a mirror to me, and we're all just like, "Do you all see that you have interests well beyond the work you're doing? You're just you're just working here, but your 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 interest is more like here. Uh, if you're not watching this on camera, that should make, make no sense to you at all. Um, so so yeah, I remember that. I remember this us sitting in a men's group therapy meeting each other mm -hmm. and discussing that and we just hit it off after that because we're like on a, on a similar trajectory of like figuring out what the hell we want to do and, and find something more um, in line with our own values our own heart and so so yeah so I, I remember those days where you're studying for boards and you're like what am I doing I don't want to be doing this I'm just lying to myself so okay so fast forward now so yeah it, it's been a rough several years as any startup person can tell you Mark can tell you firsthand. Um, what's been the hardest part about the last, say, five years? Hmm. Good question. Yeah. Uh, good question. Um, learning how to learn again in a different way. Um, and twice, actually. So the, the, the first time was, uh, you know, I had spent so much time thinking medicine, 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 how does the body work? Just always plugging in, like, you know, read a little bit of organic chemistry that plugs into like the physiology, like just constantly learning more about the, you know. So you uh, took OCHEM, you took bio, you did yeah, all, that all stuff in stuff. college. Yeah. And then you had to, in a sense, relearn all that stuff for the purpose of coding and scientific yeah, research. Yeah, well, and then transitioning over to actually <laughs> making that a business because having software is very, very much different than a business. Right. They're just, they're two entirely different. So there's things. also relearning. Yeah. And so that actually, was, that's just 
that's just learning. And that's learning how to learn. Yeah. So, I mean, I, but, but learning how to learn in a different domain. Because learning about tech, it, it's easier to learn and, and, you know, whatever. But I feel like it was easier to learn computer science than business. Yeah. Hmm. Right? Is like, how do you, uh, and, and I guess business is really pretty simple, but it's. Not when you're learning on the fly on your own without a classroom environment. Seriously, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it, it just coaching. It just it, it. The problem is, is the feedback is so like with coding, it's you put something in, you get something back out, and right. that's that's you know really easy. So with business, the feedback is, I guess, much more subtle, but also you know, there is direct feedback, there's cash, right? But is, is the, you know, you talk about immediate cash and then you yeah. talk about it's like, it's not like computer science where you get it right away on your screen. Uh, right. It's like, cash there, like, there's, did we do that pitch successfully? Right. We it's, did, but the money don't come for six months later for some reason. Oh, contracting and yeah. a procurement and all these other, you not know, not ready to pull the trigger. All yeah. That all that stuff. So, okay, so, so the hardest part has been learning how to learn again and often relearning. Yeah. That resonates for me with, uh, comedy entertainment acting it's like in my 30s in my teenage years and 20s it's like we're in a classroom environment it's pretty straightforward you just you get the book you get the test you read it study take the test learn go at jp morgan same thing like there's just a bunch of people sitting around i got a question let me go ask this guy ask this guy he's been doing it for 25 years so he obviously knows the answer but then i come into the world of comedy and it's ragtag it's just everything's all over the place there's not mentors everywhere there's not no structure zero yeah. structure you're just blazing this path on your own and i think i'm reminded of a lot of that like it was so much harder for me to get those gears going and to this day it is um compare you know comparing it to yours of like okay i'm not in the environment of college or, or grad school anymore i've got to learn business and all this on my own here has it okay so now let's bring in mark shingle you then I introduced you to Mark Schindel. He comes on as CFO mm-hmm. with a man with many decades of, of business experience. Did that how? How did that change your business learning trajectory? Yeah, I mean I'd say it, it was it accelerated things tremendously. You know, just the ability to iterate quickly on ideas and I mean, just, just bouncing. If I give you 20 bucks, will you speak into the microphone, please? (laughs) (laughs) Give this guy some money. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, if I sign a deal with half a million dollars from Meyer, will you speak into the microphone? I will. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Actually, uh, not 500, but six. (laughs) Is that what your cost is? Okay. Excuse Uh me. In that case, no, I'm not going to sign a deal. Yeah. I think really just having somebody around. Is it was is a big plus? <laughs> yeah, you know, having somebody here for you to just, it's continuity, yeah. right? Continuity, kind of and right. and we 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 had this always like going back and forth. Is I tell you, it'd be like, oh, there's all this exciting stuff, and then like come back six months later, it's like, what's going on? Oh, that was so six months. You know, it's like, what are you like? And so just being able to right. to have somebody, and then also really somebody to keep pushing back on following up with some of those things because so many things would fall through the cracks and it's just like trying to constantly get everything done and move forward then like hey did you do that because like you can try and be organized and i'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not kind of good yeah or, or but it's prioritized yeah i guess that's 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 yeah. really it is like you can you can you know spin your wheels for forever right you know but trying to trying to figure out yeah, different right. different opportunities. So, Mark and Mark, pitch me. I'm a guy. 
who is a great customer for you, who can buy Meyer, yeah. sign a contract with you, and start paying you a lot of money. So first of all, tell me who is that ideal customer. Give me an example. Mm-hmm. And then number two, give me the pitch. Yeah. Will you give them the ideal customer? Okay. Uh, ideal customer, say probably either an individual investigator, right? So an individual scientist or researcher or a small to mid-sized biotech, right? Somebody who's new and doesn't have the hundreds of thousands of employees and the organizational momentum going one direction, but has, you know, has all the pains of them because they're dealing with all the intellectual property management. So like somebody, uh, you know, early, early to mid-stage um, or an individual. Give so. me an example of early to mid-stage biotech company. Uh, who's who's I mean, one that people might have heard of? <laughs> there's a couple mm-hmm. um uh one of them you might have heard of is uh recently in the in the new york times uh was actually one of our clients the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies okay so uh they're they're actually an interesting one because they're non-profit so that's not and actually a non-profit group is a is a third group actually that's okay. that's quite different people who very much well, care about educational institutions are non yeah mm-hmm. so i mean that that kind of sits in a whole different uh different one but they they'd be a good example right they okay. have if you or, or we got we got a, a couple other ones but uh somebody who has you know between f- five and 25 or 50 or 100 employees not you know thousands or tens of thousands probably um but yeah it doesn't really matter in terms of distribution and all that it's just like it's kind of like the problem grows with the complexity of the number of people involved and the different number of breakdowns so kind of as you get bigger it, it Okay, so I'm I'm one of these organizations. I'm Maps or some other mid-sized biotech company. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't even thinking that I need your services, but you know, right? That I can benefit. And that really, that really so happens pitch a lot. No, actually. that actually you does. Know, that is generally the case. Whereas there are, and and really, the platform is very scalable. So you know, in addition to just like the individual mm-hmm. investigator or the mid-sized biotech company, it can also work for large. Research institutions, you know, large uh, pharmaceutical companies, because they all have the same problem in that they're all dealing with a mishmash of research tools that are provided by a variety of vendors, and none of these tools integrate or interact with each other. And what Mark did is he developed one integrated tool that allows a researcher to go from hypothesis all the way through publication using one tool, which is, and, and is able to conduct that research in a repeatable way, which is hugely important because if you can't repeat the experiment, then it's not real science. You know, there's, there's a flaw in the process somewhere and, and why somebody, and, and that's a reason enough to want it. But the other reason is because the platform that he developed, is much less expensive than any competing problem or any competing product by orders of magnitude cheaper and can do conduct research in a faster uh, repeatable way so so a researcher can do more research higher volume of research for less costs so so it's extremely compelling product, and as you know, as we were just kidding around about 
a lot of these researchers who will see the demo, they're like, wow, I didn't even, I didn't even know that I could do that. You know, mm. I didn't know that, that, that I could have this solution and our, our, I've never, we haven't done a demo yet where somebody hasn't been like, wow. Wowed. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's, it's an impressive platform. Got it. Got it. So, uh, so, okay. So let me, let me, let me yeah. put it to you this way. This is, this is the easiest, simplest pitch, right. Of, of what we can do. And it's, it's one of the, the components, right. You can imagine this on a lot of different things. You're a small biotech company. You have a whole bunch of different uh, service providers, right? Not just software platforms, but service providers. And every one of your service providers uses a different software. And guess what? They might be distributed all over the country. And so if you say, I want to know what, if you don't know what a protocol is, protocol is telling somebody exactly what they have to do. Did they give you 10 milliliters of the drug or 10 liters of the drug? There's a big difference in that, right? You can that that's everything. Did they put it in your left arm? Did uh, they put it in your right arm? These I'm are, gonna prefer ten liters of the yeah. Drug. I mean, what? I, yeah, right. Uh, so so uh, so here here's the thing. Uh, if you if you you're you're trying to get that and you're trying to get that from all these different places and you say, hey, guess what? My ten different sites that are collecting this from you. You got some guys at Northwestern. You got some guys at University of Chicago. Say, so, hey guys, what version of that? Can you send me back what you're doing? They send you two different things. No matter what, pretty much, and okay, and that right. and therein therein lies like, oh wait a minute, I wouldn't even I would then have to go back to the guy at Northwestern and yep. be like, well you're wrong on step three, and then go back to the guy at University of Chicago and be like, well you're wrong on step four. Now I want to change that. Okay, now I got to update both of you. Now you have to update your own, and that's just one of the little pieces. I right? got you. So I got you. So. That's that's what we can solve for them. Remind me of the steps of the uh, the scientific method. Mm -hmm. There's hypothesis. Mm -hmm. That's where we start. Mm -hmm. What's next? Do you know these off the top of your head? <laughs> yeah, they're his modules. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So you have hypothesis. Gen generally, you have to generate a hypothesis, and then you're going to plan what you're going to do. You're going to measure, make some measurements, or or do whatever you say you're going to do. And then you're going to analyze that in some way using generally statistics. Uh, and then you, you publish it. You share it with other people. You send that information out to other people. You put it in white papers and you put it in, uh, you know, uh, regulatory submissions yeah. and all, all the different things. Along that journey of all those things you just said, the, the hypothesis, the plan, the uh, analyze, was it next? Uh, analyze and then publish. Publish. Along the steps, there's also and, and measure, right? And so, measure, yes. so design. Basically, you design the measurements that you're going to make. You measure them. You figure out what those measurements tell you, and then you share that information with other people. Yes. It's like it's like it's like learning how to ride a bike, right? It's like I see the exact. It's perfect analogy. I get it totally. Of course, I don't. How is it like riding a bike, dude? No. <laughs> uh, well, well, it sounds like riding a bike to me. Yeah, yeah to you it does. How, like, how is it like right, riding a bike to you? So you're like, hey. I want to learn how to ride a bike. What's the first thing you do? You know, hop on a bike. You've never seen a bike before. You don't even know I'm what a bike is. I'm going to hypothesize. you like that. I can ride a bike. You you see what other people did. You watch other people ride ah, bikes. So you're so like, oh my gosh. Hypothesis. Oh, I can look, do that too. Look, you put you straddle the seat. You put your feet on the pedals. You grab the handlebars. Right. Then that's you, that's the person hypothesizing how to ride. Yeah, a bike. that's that's how you come up with like how am I actually going to do this? And then you're like, 
well, now I'm going to move my left foot and I'm going to move my right foot. But if I move them both at the same time, that doesn't work, right? I, I got, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, just happened before. Yeah. So you, uh, you know, and then you do that ultimately, right? You make the plan and you're like, well, I'm going to do that. And you don't want to do something different every time. You don't want to get on the, on backwards. You don't want to, you know, sit on one side. It's like you fucking, you definitely sit on no, backwards yeah. if you had 10 liters of the drug. That's, that's right. <laughs> uh, or you just strapped to the front, you know? <laughs> So, uh, you know, you, you make the plan and then you do it, right? You actually do it. And when you do it, you're going to get some feedback, right? Did you fall? Did you move forward? All of right. that. And then ultimately you're going to share that somehow, right? Here's me falling off a bike, guys. Right. Instagram. <laughs> Selfie. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. All right. Uh, and then along that journey, there's things like bibliographies um, and, and other, other things that are really necessary in all that five-step process that are not... Um, immediately necessary in each step but they're kind of like they're, they're necessary for individual steps and often they're going to be separate tools like in the planning stage or the hypothesis stage you might have separate tools to do the hypothesis a separate tool to do the planning a separate tool to do the statistics and analysis a separate tool to do the measurements yeah. you have the bibliography built in there the, the, liter the literature, literature review tool literature review yeah you have the statistics tool built into the measurements part. You have the, the all, all the tools necessary for each of those steps are all built in as opposed to separated out. Correct? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, the value... Who's doing this damn pitch? Me or you, dude? <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the, the value of doing all that together is that... So a lot of it, a lot of it, we talk about it in terms of the telephone game, right? It's it's messages getting lost between those tools, right? right. Those tools individually aren't bad. They they served a function, they served a purpose, but ultimately, not being able to use them together to do something means that you can't reproduce that experiment. And that's the whole goal of science. That's the whole goal of information sharing, right? If you weren't trying to learn how to ride a bike, you're not going to read about riding bikes. Right. You're not going to do any of that. So. Uh, in, in that way, it's like having both the, the information and the tools working together. That's actually kind of where the value comes is it, right. it's not, it's not just replacing the individual tools because what's the point? There's already things that, that exists, do that. Yep. People, people are familiar with that, but you, it's the problem is, is that it gets lost in translation. Final question. And maybe this is more for you, Mark. Shindle. Uh, ICO. So yeah. if somebody wanted to actually invest in your company, they can do that. They don't have to wait for IPO. They don't have to do a private offering with you guys That's and right. get in touch with you. They can just go to your website That's right. and do an ICO. Not everyone because you have to be an accredited investor. Correct. But yes. tell us tell us about this ICO. Yeah. Well, um, Mark uh, can actually explain the, the reason why it makes – so much sense for Meyer and the platform better than I can, but but basically, you know, Meyer is a you know blockchain-based technology, and Mark has come up with the concept of having basically the Meyer ecosystem, where uh, people that participate on the platform are able to exchange intellectual property or pieces of trials or whole trials, and one way to help uh, create that ecosystem is to uh, develop a token, you know, um, which is behind this whole ICO phenomenon, 
you know, now most people are very familiar with Bitcoin um, and have learned about ICOs through maybe some peripheral knowledge of Bitcoin. The market for ICOs has gotten a bad rap in a lot of ways because there's been a lot of fraudulent activity surrounding ICOs. Uh, a lot of people uh, that are raising money f based on fraudulent schemes, basically. Um, what sets Meyer very much apart from pretty really any ICO that I've seen is that we already have a product. You know, we have a, a, a platform that's deployed. Uh, we're generating revenue. And we're pursuing this ICO so that we will raise money to then accelerate our growth and to create this ecosystem where users of the platform are able to exchange intellectual property and, and uh, information on trials. So, so if you go to our website, you'd be able to participate in the pre-sale of our ICO. Ah, and so it hasn't launched yet. No, it has not. Pre-sale. Right. It's a pre-sale of the ICO, which enables you to, to basically um, have the ability to buy tokens at a discount to the ultimate ICO price. And um, we're doing this in a very uh, regulated, rigorous way in that we're going through the SEC mm. um, and, and doing, and doing a, a registered or, um, uh, offering where, you know, it's under the guise of the SEC. Right. So, so almost we're, we're, as if as you were doing an IPO of some sort. Right. Now it's all very new. You right. know, it's it's right. this is all new territory. So so that's the other reason that we're doing this in a very um, dotting our I's and crossing our T's because we want to make sure that there there aren't gonna be any problems down the road for anyone participating in the ICO or for, for Meyer. And um, we've got a, a great group of advisors that we're working on to get this done. So to the extent that people want to participate in the ICO, they can go to our website and participate in the pre-sale, um, which will get them a discount to the ultimate ICO price. I like that you guys are using the, I mean, it sounds more conservative than your average ICO because you're using um, the, you're doing it on the guise of the SEC regulations. Yes. But that means you probably have a top shelf law firm yes, that's do. overseeing this, right? That's very much so. Yeah. We're working with uh, Morrison Forrester, which is... I believe to be is the premier ICO um, law firm um, in, in the U.S. And, and we're doing an offering that allows uh, U.S. citizens to participate, which uh, most of the ICOs out there, you know, they shy away from mm. the U.S. market because they're afraid of the regulation. Regulation, well, right. We're making sure that we're doing an ICO in a way where U.S., citizens can participate yes i like that and for the record i intend to participate well that's awesome yep yeah um you heard you. it here <laughs> <Dum -dum. laughs> yeah. um anything additional you'd add to that mark graves uh, uh not really you know uh, I, I guess maybe just the the reason why it why it makes sense why yes. what like how does it hold, all fit into the platform so you have this fundamental technology called blockchain. And, the, and the, the general notion is that you 
you say something once, you agree to it, and then you you hold it out there and you verify that, and you make that available for other people to verify it. Wait, wait, wait. You say something once and you agree to it. What is it? What do you mean by that? So, so you're talking about blockchain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to. So on the blockchain, to, <laughs> you and I might so do we, a transaction. We agree. For we agree to the text of this article. Okay. Right. We say this. This article is you know whatever that text is. Because yep. because I have effectively a photo of it, and we use this this technique called a hash. And what that hash does is it means you don't actually have to see the text in order to know exactly that whatever you copied is the same, right? And so that is uh, a fundamental technology that allows... Of blockchain. Of blockchain yeah. that allows you to get trust in a very untrusting environment. Okay. Like, say, when you're working with highly regulated entities, right? Pharmaceutical companies where their data of their clinical trials is the most valuable asset they have mm. because it drives the stock price. So right. all of these things are wow. private, cloud, like this is not your average right. something. Sit, like they just- you they, Trust is hugely, hugely needed. Absolutely. But the problem is, is they can't even trust their own internal vendors and IT staff. I mean, we've, we've seen we've seen that go Rogue wrong. Rogue employees. Uh, yep. it, absolutely. You know, it, it can be anything. So how do Espion you corporate espionage? Absolutely. I mean, so how do you how do you create a mechanism that is cost effective that allows you to make sure that what you want done and what you agree to as a group actually gets done? Mm. That's that's the the enabling technology. And so, you know, leveraging that with a very strong platform that allows you to start aggregating information. Yep. Like, that's like a, Meyer. That's Yeah, that's a scalable thing. Because Makes sense. everybody, you know, it's all about, well, I have my data warehouse and it sits over here. And, you know, it just, we interact with that. We already have all these connectors and all this stuff working with it. How do you enable them to keep working on that? So biotech companies have hugely sensitive information right now. Mm -hmm. with their clinical trials that even though they think they're safe, they're probably exposed in some way. Yeah. Blockchain on its own will help that dramatically. Blockchain plus Meyer not only will help solve that problem, but also solve all sorts of other problems that could come up in that scenario. Yeah. And, and really ultimately, you know, by combining the two, what you enable is for them to say, you know what, I have this this piece of data or this protocol over here, and I want I want you to have it, but I only want you to have it once, yep. or I yep. want you to get access Control. to only this piece of it. Control it makes trust. it right, and so that actually, if they if they trust something third party, right, external externally verifiable by each team, then they can say, okay, well, we can use this, and then we. Actually, they can trade more. That's the whole point is right. you start enabling them to work together better because they're spending all their time right now securing everything and building up their little right. you know, way that it works for them. But ultimately, they're all doing the same thing. Wonderful. Makes sense. Um, one thing I did, I did want to talk to you more about was the life of startup, <laughs> right? The life of an entrepreneur and... We're not going to have time to do that today. So, which means we're coming back one day. Whoa. Sounds good. Awesome. Mark Graves, Mark Schindel, thank you guys for being here. Chris yeah, Bradhead, thank thanks for being the man. Yo, yo. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, that's our show for today. All Peace right. out, all. Disclaimer. 
I do not provide personal investment advice, and I am not a qualified licensed investment advisor. I am an amateur investor. All information found here, including any ideas, opinions, views, predictions, forecasts, commentaries, suggestions, or stock picks expressed or implied herein are for informational, entertainment, or educational purposes only and should not be construed as personal investment advice. While the information provided is believed to be accurate, it may include errors or inaccuracies. I will not and cannot be held liable for any actions you take as a result of anything you read, hear, or see here. Conduct your own due diligence, consult a licensed financial advisor or broker before making any and all investment decisions. Any investments, trades, speculations, or decisions made on the basis of any information found on this show, expressed or implied herein, are committed at your own risk, financial or otherwise. Business news and other shit, hereafter known as BNOS, reflects my own views, ideas, and opinions. It is not a production of my employer, nor is it affiliated with any any broker-dealer or registered investment advisor. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of the content of this entire show, including any links to other sites. The links provided are maintained by their respective organizations, and they are solely responsible for their content. All information presented here is provided as is, without warranty of any kind, expressed or implied. From time to time, I may include affiliate links and advertisements on BNOS that result in my receiving a payment should a visitor click on the link or sign up to a service as per established inner practice. Readers are entirely responsible for any actions they take as a result of reading or clicking on links on the site and are urged to read the small print. Sound fair enough? Then please subscribe to BNOS. It's free via RSS or email.